0: I've created an aerospace device that will actually fly us from right here at the Arc de Triomphe, right to the Quasette at Cannes. And it, and it only
1: takes 25 minutes. Wow. Unfortunately, I'm a dreadful traveler in space. I vomit right over the person that's opposite me. Oh,
0: man. Fortunately, the craft has individual pods. So while you will in fact vomit, it's not going to get on me.
1: (laughs) Oh, sounds amazing. Amazing. Unfortunately, I forgot my pants. And I can't go traveling without any pants on. That'd be ridiculous. (laughs) oh mike your idea of ridiculous
0: you're always always with your idea of ridiculous don't you know that fortunately this is a pantsless conference (laughs) and i think there we could go scene we can
1: hush that was brilliant
0: Martians landed, yes, wearing Prada suits, yes, drinking Henry seltzer, yes, chewing juicy fruit, yes, and, your branding here, yes, brand, your message here, yes, and, a verse about, yes, your product here, yes, I'm Hersh Redfield, yes, and, I'm a message therapist, yes, and I have a podcast,
1: yes, brand,
0: that's right, that's it, yes, we'll help you fix the world, yes, or your bottom line, Your bottom line. Get it. I get it. Welcome to the S Brand Podcast. My guest today is Mike Lander. Mike is responsible for nearly a a half billion pounds in business deals, but I just know him as my friend Mike, and he's going to talk to us today about life in this crazy world. And speaking of a crazy world, if you were to... Take a a look at yourself in a in a home movie at 15 years old as a boy of 15, and now look at the life you lead and the work that you do. Can you draw a line from there (laughs) to here?
1: Hirsch, so first of all, thank you for inviting me. Hopefully, your audience will understand my accident, my accident, rather than my accident. Because no, uh, my my accent is an accident. (laughs) Your your accent. Your accent
0: is the, the product of, of your natural exposure to, uh, to a certain continent, you know, whereas <laughs> mine is, is in, mine is, uh, you know, and I have been in continent, but I haven't, or did not grow up there. So.
1: <laughs> so, could you draw a line? No, you couldn't. Because if you looked at me as a 15 year old, you would never have predicted where I'd get to now. You know, it's taken me, and we'll talk about all sorts of stuff Hirsch, as we go along, and we'll, and we'll have some fun, yeah. and hopefully there's some valuable lessons for your audience. And what I like to do is drop in the odd thing that might be valuable. So one thing is, for example, is you need to find mentors in life. You've got to find people, and you don't need many, but one or two, who basically challenge your assumptions, believe in you, and... Help you on your way. It's the, it's, I mean, you know this from the stuff you do regarding movies and documentaries and comedy, the story arc. When someone explained the story arc to me, I was like, say that again. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, well, in a film, in a Disney film, you meet a hero and the hero's got a challenge. And then the hero meets a guide. And the guide helps them build a plan. And the hero goes on the journey with the plan, with the guide by their side, and the hero wins the day. And if you look at the story of life, mentors are your guides. They're the people that you meet who you didn't search them out necessarily, but you found them. And they challenged your thinking. And they stopped you from just following the herd. Yeah. And they... They, they started to make you believe in yourself that something was possible. You weren't quite sure what it was, but something different was possible. And I've been lucky in my life. I've had guides. I'd have, I'd have people that were agitators. And it stretched me. And that's how I got to where I am, basically. Until recently, so I would say until 10 years ago, my speaking skills, I used to speak way too fast. So I'd speak really quickly, and I'd talk quickly to all sorts of people. And I'd be really excited, and it'd be amazing. And I, I could do all these things. It'd be fantastic. And then I learned, if you halve your pace, in your head it will feel like it's way too slow. It feels like you're running it in half speed as a film. But it allows you to think, to consider, and from an audience point of view, I think, it draws them in. It makes them want to find out what's going to happen next. So what's your view as a, a longtime presenter and film person and comedian about that tone and speed of voice? How important is it?
0: Oh, it's critical. And it's amazing to me because I wouldn't have known that that, that you had this speedy conversational nature. But the, fa- the amazing fact is that you are consciously adjusting it and that just speaks to the fact that we have so much more power over our communication than we might realize yeah. and those little those changes show an appreciation of the person you're communicating with so it isn't all about us you yeah. know i i i couldn't agree more that that the that the slowing down sounds strange to us but that to yeah. the person who we're communicating with, the adjustment is so profound. And I know that from, from talking to fast talkers and it always, you know, often I, I'm, I'm semi-fluent in Spanish, but speaking to someone who, who just rattles <laughs> stuff off in Spanish, that's the key to Sofia Vergara's success is that, is that she's made a career out of the unintelligible rapidity with which she speaks. in English
1: with a Spanish accent. So amazing. So something else. So as we go through this kind of this journey of a conversation for hopefully the value of your listeners rather than the value of us. Yeah. Another thing that happens. So years and years and years ago, I I read some books on NLP. So neuro-linguistic programming for your listeners, which was, I think, developed by uh, two people called Bandler and Grindler. And if I've got this right, many, many years ago, what they worked out was uh, that, and I might be kind of, I might be interpreting and twisting this slightly, but kind of bear with me as I, as I go through it. We filter things out. So, what, in a conversation, imagine we're in the pub, because I like the pub. I like a glass of wine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have a glass of wine together, Hersh. Who knows? Yes, I um, hope so. We'd be in the pub and we're, 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 and we're, we're two glasses in. And we're having a chat about Lego for whatever reason, because we like Lego and we're interested in Lego. And what will happen after that two glasses in, and that's why i link it back to this NLP, is I'll be waiting for my moment to talk. In my head, I've got something about the DeLorean that sat, that sat behind me, about why it's there. So I'm waiting for my moment to talk about this DeLorean Lego car. You've been saying all sorts of things for two minutes over your glass of wine. I've been looking at you. It looks like I'm listening to you, but I'm really waiting to talk. And in communication, what I've learned, and I've learned this as a negotiator as well, is you've got to kind of almost like take away the filter, take away what's in your head that you want to say, and really tune in to what the other person's saying and why they're saying it. And that's when the magic happens, in my view. Thoughts? do you, do, do you know the entire time you've been speaking
0: <laughs> I've I've been thinking
1: I've, had four, I've been thinking wine. that,
0: that <laughs> I'm two glasses of wine in, but I forgot that I had a shot with my mate just before just before we met up. And then we and then so and you know so
1: It's like
0: <laughs> yeah, well, He's turning the into question?
1: Peter Cook and Dudley yeah. <laughs> Moore.
0: Yeah, that's right. And that's not even my Arthur, my actual Arthur impression. Exactly, i have noticed. Av- actual Arthur impression, but 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 it is but it is true because I do that too as a host. I I hear something and I make a mental note of what they said, and then I have to monitor where the conversation is going, and then I make a decision at some point. Oh is it worth calling back to that or has that moment passed? Yeah. And you know, and often it often it has and then and then I wonder if I make the joke, let's say I was thinking of making a joke, if I if I make the joke, will will it be how will it be received? You know, will the guests think, "Oh, nice." Yeah. The whole time, the whole time I was talking, you were just trying to waiting to say this joke. <laughs> but if I if I do it right and I and my timing is good, then then it does fit in, and but it is definitely there are two tracks going in our conversations, and sometimes we are hyper aware of that, and that takes us out even further. And sometimes, to your point, we let we let go of the expectation. I had a I had a guest on recently, and I said, "Okay, you know, do, was there a way you'd like to be introduced, or is there a certain also very had very esoteric." background. And, and so there was a lot of ways that I could go with it. And he said, my mind is completely blank at this moment. My, I, my mind is blank. So anything you want to throw at me, just go ahead because there, there's nothing else that I'm thinking. And that was that was amazing. And, and yep. uh, you know, exactly. I think that not planning speaks to how our lives do and don't unfold. Yeah. You know, what what was the presumption when you were, you know, 15 years old? What did you expect would happen? What were you what what
1: expectations did you have? (laughs) So a bit of context for you and your listeners. So I was brought up in a place called Stockport, uh, which is in the north of England. Um, Both my parents, loving parents. I was adopted as a kid. So I was adopted at six months old. I was very fortunate. Because I, had I not been adopted, I, I doubt I'd be here today. I don't think I'd have survived the journey. Literally, I, I wouldn't have survived the journey, yeah. I don't think. So I was very fortunate I was adopted. Both my parents were, they didn't have degrees. They, they weren't academic people. Our kind of peer group, my, my, my parents' peer group, were you know people that were administrators and people that were doing hard jobs, often manual labor jobs, or they were doing administrative jobs, working long hours, not earning a great deal of money, didn't have degrees. And the reason I mention that is someone said to me, you know, when did you first think about being an entrepreneur? And I said, when I was 15, I didn't know the word existed. Literally, no idea that word existed. We had a guy, a friend of my father's, called George. George was a scrap metal merchant. George was a tough bloke. George was a boxer. You wouldn't mess with George. George had all sorts of businesses in his life. And if I look back now, George was an entrepreneur. George was opportunistic. He'd find ways of making money. Now, what George did in the rest of his life, I don't want to know, really. I don't think I should ask, because he was a pretty tough bloke. But nonetheless, George, I think, was an entrepreneur. And... The reason I say that is because if you've got, if in your peer group, you're all the same people and you don't have other world experiences, then when you say what, what were your expectations at 15? Well, my expectations were that I'd be a mechanic. Why? Because Mm -hmm. I was good with my hands. I liked cars. We knew a garage mechanic who was also an entrepreneur because he had his own garage. I just thought he was a mechanic, fix people's cars. So I thought I'll be a mechanic and that was my expectation that that yeah. was it. So it wasn't to build a big business. It wasn't to travel the world. It was, uh, I'll be a mechanic. And then something magical happened in my life and it was a complete and utter turning point. So imagine set the scene. You're good at setting the scene, Hirsch. You're in that industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I'm 16 years old. I'm about to leave school. I wasn't going to go to university. That wasn't my route. So I said to my parents, I want to get a job. Great. So in the UK, we have these things called apprenticeships. We did back in the day. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 58 now. So I'm getting on, on in years. Then I was 16. So back when I was 16, you could do an apprenticeship. And I applied for jobs as an apprentice and I applied for loads of jobs. And I applied at. I arrived at one company in the north of England in a pretty rough area. And I rock up to this interview. And the guy says to me, bear in mind, I'm 16. I lack confidence. Very poor communicator. I talk really quickly. I'm very excited by all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy says to me, he says, you know, you're not very bright. You don't seem like you're very capable. We might get you sweeping the floors, but I'm not sure. We'll let you know I walked out and I had a choice you either accept that and go maybe I'm not very bright and I won't amount to much and I may just accept it or you say there must be more surely there must be more Uh and a friend of the families we were lucky was a lecturer at the local university uh, the local college the only person we knew that was an academic. And I didn't know him at all Well, a guy called Eric Dierman, who sadly died now many, many years ago. But Eric Dierman decided to help. He decided to talk to one of his businesses that he worked with because they were training people in college and then they'd feed them into businesses. And he talked to one of the businesses locally and they opened up a place for me as an apprentice because he said, trust me, Michael will be good. He'll do well. He'll be fine he needs the right environment. They created yeah. a job for me as an apprentice. Now, play that forward for four years. I get the job. I'm delighted. First pay packet, £25 in a brown envelope in the factory, uh, handed out on a Friday. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. £25. Fantastic. I'm earning. And I'm going to college. So I do one day a week at college because the, the scheme was you work... They pay you five days a week, but one day they send you to college to go and do more learning. Yeah, I was going to ask.
0: So, okay, so so now you'd already, uh, you know, converted yourself into a college student, which was yeah. beyond what you had, correct? You had perceived. No so i already well, bested, bested this asshole. Bested the broom sweeper. The you broom know, sweeper. The, the guy. Now who, way past yeah, the broom
1: sweeper. Fantastic. Who, so, right, four years of college. After year three, I'm doing day release, I remember, my grades were awful at school, like really awful at school, like pretty appalling at school. And therefore, I I knew I wasn't cut out for academic life, really. Three years into this course, I get a letter from the college. Dear Michael, because they call you Michael then. Dear Michael, you've won (laughs) student of the year award. So I read this letter, and I'm like, You've won the student of the year award. So I rang the college and I said, I've got a letter, but you've made a mistake. Yeah. It, it's gone to the wrong person. So I thought I'd better let you know. They went, no, 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 you came top of the year. But I'm like, but that's not possible because I'm not academic. They went, no, you came top of the year. And what I worked out was, A, I had great lecturers. But more importantly, it was applying, on that one day, we'd learn about electronic circuits. And then on four days, I'd go and build them. I'd see how they worked. Mm. Then I'd go back into college on Friday, and I'd work out what I've learned and what I didn't know, and do the next thing. Rinse and repeat. I kept going. So when people say, school's not for me, college isn't for me, you know, I'm going to get a job. If you're lucky, like me, you find a job that you love. There's a gap in your knowledge to help you do your job. You go to college to fill the gap, to apply it in work, to find out you've got more gaps, to go back to college to fill in the gaps, and you keep going. Mm. And that one moment changed the course of my life. It's a
0: good argument for not just the idea of doing what you love, but learn what you love. Yeah. Because we're not born with a fully you know, armed skill set. We may have a certain tendency towards something or a certain like of something and a dislike. We have certain, you know, certain innate skills, but we have to learn something. And you and your, you know, kind of, uh, you know, whether it was planned or unplanned specifically, the step you took was to learn and learn and do, learn and do,
1: learn and do. And in their view, excel. Exactly. You know? And now, in and the job that I do now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm still an experimenter. Throughout my life, I believe in. I've got, fra- yeah, I've got, I've got loads of phrases, Hirsch, I've got loads of phrases. But one of them is do a little, learn a lot. Mm-hmm. So, active experimentation. Try an experiment, see what happens. Learn from it, adapt, try something else. You keep adapting podcasting is a great example actually i'm um because of the nature of the kind of the way i've come through my professional career digital marketing was i was a bit late to the party for me i was a bit more of a traditional marketer and salesperson and then digital marketing happened fast and i didn't really understand what was going on for quite a long time and so i was like exploring around trying to find out how do you basically market yourself because i now it's me i sell my skills to people that need training in negotiation skills, salespeople typically. And I was working out, well, how do I find these people? How do I reach them? How do I get access to them? How do they know I exist? How do I raise awareness? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I tried all sorts. I was on LinkedIn and it didn't really work. And I try a YouTube channel and my son subscribed, but no one else did. And I tried all sorts. And then I, I kind of, I found out through a guy called Pat Flynn who's big in the States, uh, SPI uh, is his thing. Mm-hmm. And I got yeah. in, I got into one of his communities and I started hearing about this kind of podcasting thing. Sounds interesting. What's podcasting. And, um, a couple of people said, well, well, we'll interview interview you for our podcast, be a guest. So I was a guest and a few things happened. One, I really enjoyed it. I like this. I like the yeah. not quite sure it's going bit of banter. Yeah bit of a dialogue and then occasionally some magic things happen. And I realized that being a host, being a guest on hosts podcasts is a brilliant way to allow people to find out who I am, what I'm like as a person because people buy from people. And if I'm really lucky, some of the audience actually has a problem that I can help solve. And it's been weird about, I love being a guest on people's podcasts. Now I'm very lucky that you invite me because it's your platform it's your audience, and I get to have a chat with you and talk yeah. about some of the things that happened in my life and it's an easy way for me to get my message out have some fun meet new people without having to work out how this whole thing works so it's been fascinating yeah it's fun it's fun I enjoy being on other
0: but i have a I have kind of the opposite experience i i I love the mechanics so to speak of of show business anyway and i love the behind the curtain aspect and i love knowing how it all is put together and made and so for me i've always been i don't even think of it as being in front of the camera i i think of it as being behind the scenes that's always just felt super comfortable to me even my grandfather owned a uh, a Hebrew bookstore in South Beach in Miami wow. Beach where we where we grew up and i now that's i a niche. loved
1: that's definitely a niche yeah that is a
0: niche Hebrew bookstore yeah and um and i loved it had like first of all the smell of the books yeah. was always you know intoxicating to me and then the fact that it had this kind of alcove atmosphere and you could go into the back into the storeroom where there were uh, you know, all the inventory and all the books and the bookkeeping in the little office and all that stuff to me felt so cool and magical. Mm-hmm. So even though I was an extrovert, I didn't like to sit on the stool and and work at the register. I loved to go in the back and, and kind uh, of live live this kind of fantasy life of who knows what stories I was making up about yeah. being in this place. And I just love that. I love the behind-the-scenes aspect of of every of everything.
1: There's but that's something, interesting that you talk you know, about the. So, uh, do you see yourself as an extrovert? Would you see yourself as an extrovert typically?
0: No, not really. I mean, I I I say that because I, I see myself as a performer. But, right. But I don't think that me- makes me an extrovert because a performer no, can be on the stage with hot lights on them, talking to a thousand people, but. That they're not actually talking one on one to people or uh, one to a group, you know. So I don't know.
1: So, what, what about you? you? What
0: about you? Because, you, yeah, well, what would your guess be? Well, my guess would be that you're an extrovert. Okay.
1: That would be my guess. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. So, if you put me in a room, and again, I think this comes down to kind of definitions of what we believe, we see yeah, yeah. wisdom received wisdom in society you talk about the truth tastes funny you know the truth is received wisdom is really bad for you right The wisdom that you receive from the masses on the whole is not good news because from my point of view it it allows you not to think about it so if we say oh you're an extrovert you go oh yeah they're an extrovert absolutely Because they're they're quite loud and they're uh, on stage. So they're an extrovert. So no. So Mm -hmm. let's think about it. So what do we mean when we say extrovert and introvert? So a definition maybe to play with. An extrovert gets their energy from being around other people. Could be a definition. Right. Right. My energy doesn't come from that. My energy comes from I like to sit and think. I like to have a controlled environment around me. I don't like to go out and go to random parties or networking events. It doesn't suit me. I'm very happy training a hundred, a thousand people because it's Mm -hmm. my content. I'm prepared. I'm super well prepared. I've got my own stories and the audience is interested in what I'm trying to get across and they'll ask me questions. And because of my experience base and bank of knowledge, I'm happy to answer the questions. When I come off stage, I don't want to go into that audience of a thousand people and party. I have no, it's not me. Mm -hmm. I'll have one-on-ones, very happy to. But I get my energy from closer relationships with a few people and sitting and thinking. Just a thought.
0: No, I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm also, I think we're both presenters in that sense. Yeah. You can, we can present, we, we are comfortable presenting ideas to groups. But I also, you know, I also believe that, that that's because it's makes it easier for us. We don't have to explain who we are. We don't have to introduce yeah. ourselves. We don't have to do that a hundred times in a room when that makes it, makes it more comfortable. I don't consider myself a mingler either right. but I think but I think it does happen where the same type of behavior that I do on stage making jokes picking up on people's signals and and responding to it can be accomplished in smaller groups when one on one one on one's very different one on one to me is like this this yeah. is more like sitting and thinking this is more like You know, and I do enjoy that. I do enjoy sitting with another person who's doing whatever they're doing and kind of just sharing the energy in the space and allowing things to happen. But yeah, I think you said it. An extrovert really gets that electricity from other people. They really want to connect literally like to electrically connect. As a conductor. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't
1: think that's. Yeah. So something else, another like another kind of, you know, truth that tastes funny, maybe negotiating. So it's my kind of topic. Mm -hmm. It's what I love doing. It's what I enjoy talking about uh, with the people in business. Um, If you, if you asked a hundred people what they think of the success factors to negotiate a deal, what they'll probably say is, well, you know, You can tell a great negotiator, you can see they're just instinctive. They're brilliant on their feet, they're really sharp-minded, and that's not me. So uh, success factors, I think you've either got it or you haven't. You're either a brilliant negotiator or you're not. So it's Blunkham. It's complete and utter rubbish. (laughs) Anyone can negotiate anything ten times better by doing a few simple things. So shall we explore what they are? For some fun. Yes, I think it would. Be, I think it
0: would be great to to see. Here are some tips. We. Did. I wasn't going to try to elicit these from you, but I think you want to share it, and I yeah. and I think my audience would love
1: to hear it. So yes, let's talk about that. So the first thing is, eighty percent of the value of any negotiation is in the preparation. Only twenty percent of the value is when you're sat at the table with your counterparty. So that's number one. Number two, anxiety and emotional fear is the enemy of the negotiator. When we walk into a room, if we feel anxious, if we're fearful of what they might say, how they might behave, what they might do, we're on the back foot before we start. A simple tip before you walk in the room And I learned this from, I think it was Travis, Travis Fox, Dr. Fox. Breathe. Sounds so simple. Mm. Breathe in. And breathe out. Just do four of those deep breathing exercises, reduces anxiety. And it transfers the blood that's circulating in your kind of stomach the knots to your head, the thinking, which is what we want when we're going to negotiate. We want all the blood in our head, not in our gut. So that's number two. And number three, really simple tool for anyone to prepare better for any negotiation. Three simple things you can do. Number one, get a bit of paper or use your screen, whatever you like, write down two objectives What are you trying to achieve from this negotiation? Then write down, what do you think your counterpart is trying to achieve? Is there some kind of match? Are we broadly in the same boat? So that's number one. Then number two, the second step. How long is it going to take? Are we talking eight weeks? And there's three steps. If we are, write it down. Send it to your counterparty. I think it's going to take us about eight weeks. There's about three steps. Do you think that's right? They'll probably go, no, I think it's gonna take six weeks and there's two steps, great. Now their fingerprints are on your timeline, brilliant. That's step two. And step three, this is all preparation, remember, you've not Mm -hmm. met the negotiator face-to-face to negotiate. Step three, write down the variables you're negotiating around. What do I mean? So, in a negotiation, there's price, yep. Definitely. There's the length of the contract in business. How long will the contract last? There's what they call termination rights. What allows them to terminate the contract? Intellectual property. All sorts. Exclusivity. So there's five. And then for each one, just write down a bit of paper. What would I ideally like? What's my ideal? And what would I okay. accept at the bottom end for each one? Now you've prepared... It can take you three minutes or three hours, but you've prepared. And when you walk into the negotiation and you start having a discussion, think of it like a a, a mixing board for an audio engineer. So those variables, as someone turns one down, you turn the other one up because you're exchanging. If you want a lower price, I can change the scope and I want a longer contract. I want a two year contract, not a one year contract for a smaller price and the scope will change. Is that okay? No, it's not. Okay. Okay. What? What would you prefer? Well, I want half the price and no contract length and terminate when I want and I own all the IP and it's exclusive. Is that a negotiation? Hirsch? Do we think that's a negotiation? No, not. No, it's not. It's a steamroller driving over you. Right. The act of yeah. preparation means that you'll go. Well, we're obviously not on the same page. Maybe it's time to walk away. You could say, "I'm I'm adjusting my estimate to ten weeks
0: now <laughs> because because you've just added another two weeks. Do you really want to add another two weeks yeah. to this to this negotiation? <laughs> exactly. But, but you're so you're so right, Mike, because the the preparation is that script that I yeah. talk about in in life. You know. In life. And you don't need a uh, verbatim script, and in fact, a verbatim script Im- impedes you. But what you need is the beats, what we call the beats. Right. You know, you need those beats. Now, you you know, being a good improvisational uh, actor, let's say, is very helpful in negotiations because it is all improv. Yeah. But improv doesn't come from nowhere.
1: Improv from, exactly. comes
0: from from an idea. And then you build on that idea and build on that idea and you're just using imagination to to flesh it out and make it funny but you're you're starting with something you're given something an offer they call it interestingly enough
1: interesting Um, yeah no but this is interesting about improv being uh i'd never thought of that but i would imagine as you say you're starting with something do you have like do you have um simple frameworks in your head so when you're improvising you're doing it in a way which is like there's building blocks but I could build a house I could build a dog kennel I could build a swimming pool they're all made out of bricks but they're all look they all look different so I assemble them differently if, uh, Is that absolutely yeah yeah well what what usually we
0: do in in improv is there's uh, there's a game we we will set rules for a game. And okay. the game will have parameters and we'll say okay so here's the you know one game that I like to do with let's with do business one example.
1: Let's do I, I've never done yeah, one problem do in one, my life. Let's let's do one.
0: Okay. So let's do one now. So there's a game called Fortunately Unfortunately. Okay. And it's a two person game so it's so it's it's good for us. And okay. essentially uh, one person will make a statement, fortunately something, and will do that. And the other person has to say, unfortunately, but what you notice about it is you're not negating what the other person said. In other words, they put it out there and you're accepting it as a reality, which is the yes and rule of improv. Yes and rule of improv means I accept your offer. I respond on top of that. I build it. Okay. And that's really the core of improvisational comedy is that it's never no, it's always yes, but it can be yes, yes, and here's something really bad about that. Okay. So, and then we get a suggestion from the audience that gives us just some kind of, like I would say, I need a location and somebody can throw out the South of France as the right. as the location. I just that just popped into my head. There's only yep. two of us So let's go So we say I need a location and I need an occupation. So you throw out an occupation. Just throw Chemist. out any occupation. Chemist. Okay, perfect. So we have so we have two chemists in the in the south of France and I'll start with a fortunately. Perfect. You know? So I say, uh, Well Mike you know, and I, I i could do the i could do a French accent, but we're, we'll keep it we'll keep it simpler Let's in keep it this simple. case, at least to exactly. start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I say, well, Mike. Fortunately,
1: the conference doesn't start for an hour and a half. Unfortunately, Hirsch, the conference is in Cannes, and we're in Paris. We're never going to get there in an hour and a half.
0: Well, fortunately. And I didn't tell you this initially because I knew you'd be excited. I've created an aerospace device that will actually fly us from right here at the Arc de Triomphe, right to the Quasette at, at Cannes. And it, and it only
1: takes 25 minutes. Wow. Unfortunately, I'm a dreadful traveler. In space, I vomit right over the person that's opposite me. Oh
0: man, yeah, that—that that, I, I, I'm very disappointed to hear that. In the sense that I know what that's like for you. Fortunately, Craft has individual pods, so while you will in fact vomit, it's not going to get on me. <laughs>
1: Sounds marvellous. Unfortunately, Hirsch, unfortunately, I'm very claustrophobic. I can't go in a pod. Could I go in your pod?
0: You want to go in my pod with me? Yeah. Or you want to go...
1: You want to sit in... Squeeze into my pod. In your pod with you, right next to you. Well,
0: fortunately... I have two... Not only do I have a two-pod travel unit that I've invented, I also, I also have a space cab that actually seats six people. So if we find enough people... Now, they don't have individual pods in there. It puts us all in a six-person pod... You're gonna throw up on someone, but I think since I'm the I'm the driver, I'm going to be I'm going to be in the front seat, and I just will make sure not to have you next to me. But you can throw up in the back, and we just have to find you know a, a few suckers to join us because it it, it
1: does require a, a group of people. Wow, this sounds amazing, amazing. Unfortunately. I forgot my pants, and I can't go traveling without any pants on, that'd be ridiculous.
0: (laughs) Oh Mike, your idea of ridiculous, you're always, always with your idea of ridiculous. Don't you know that fortunately this is a pantsless conference? (laughs) And I think there we could go scene. <laughs> we can Hirsch, that was brilliant.
1: I've never done oh, that. Oh, thank my life. you for
0: playing that. <laughs> thank you for playing that. Well, you know, there's a, the, the 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 beauty of it is that it takes it takes a minute even for me to adjust to the limitlessness, yes, of of the situation. Yes, so we're really not we're really not constricted except for what an improv, what an improviser feels is the, uh, the specter of time kind of right. looming. Over. Like you don't want to take too long. You don't want to lose the audience. And, and no. in fact, there are rapid fire games that are harder and really you're more likely to lose, you know, you're more likely to lose one of those games because, and then you get tapped out. So right. some other improviser will come in because you took too long. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's so much fun, and I do think that that's that's a, 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 a very you know interesting parallel to negotiation because we really have to not be thrown. I yeah. guess. I mean, I don't think of myself as a good negotiator, but I'll, but for me, what what has made me a good you know made me good, like you said, anybody can can do yeah. it. It's not about and- are you a good or bad negotiator. What helps me is humor. What helps me is getting so comfortable with the environment that I can disarm the person I'm negotiating with with some kind of good humor that lets them know, oh, this guy's not scared of me. This guy's not afraid, intimidated. And if that person would have to try to intimidate me, that would be bad for them. So they don't want to have to try. That's right. But I may have an advantage in comedy you know now if they have no sense of humor which has happened then they're back to they're back to being in control which is yeah. which is interesting because it's not going to go well for me after no. that if they but don't then... have a sense of humor or if they control their sense of humor and they know okay I'm not going to let this punk throw me with his comedy I'm going to pretend and act like I don't have any sense of humor about it and I'm going to to and to go back to your prep he would, he, if he did good prep, he would be like, no, I'm just sticking to the facts here. I don't want him to get to know this guy. I don't care. I don't want to, you know, That's right. I don't want to fall in love with this guy. And then, and then I'm going to give him more than I, that I, more than I should give him.
1: Yeah. And that is a technique I use as a negotiator. Part of the technique is, and salespeople try it a lot. Salespeople try and befriend me. They try and become not my, they try and build a relationship with me. And I, I stop them kind of stone cold, dead. It's like, you, yeah. I'm not here to be a friend. We've got right. a deal to do. We know what the parameters are. We need to get a deal done. So we can all move on with our lives. Yeah. And a lot of sales people yeah. find that very difficult. I say to salespeople, when you meet a procurement person, for example, a buyer, a purchaser, I've assumed that you've already sold this deal to someone, the marketing director or the president or someone, you've kind of yeah. sold them this dream, and you're at my door because they've told you to come and see me. Well, I assume you've already sold it in terms of the idea. Now we're gonna negotiate a contract and see if actually you can supply to us or not. Cause you might not be able yeah. to. Cause I've got loads of questions for you. And A lot of salespeople yeah. are thrown by that. They're like, but, but it's all about the, you know, it's all about the amazing the creative that we do. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, nah, it's not about that now gotta move on tell me yeah tell me you've got more tell me there's more than just your pitch uh, seriously Hirsch, nice. there must be more yeah to do the jack nicholson yeah. thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> tell me you haven't
0: pinned your hopes <laughs> On a, I don't, I don't know that line exactly, but no, you know, I know exactly. which which scene you're talking about. It, a few good men.
1: and phone calls, exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah,
0: and phone calls, <laughs> phone calls. Because deep, because late at whatever it is it, it, late at night in places <laughs> night. you don't talk about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you want me on that wall. You need, need me on that me wall. On that wall.
1: <laughs> Correct. Exactly right. Uh, so there we what go. a great those
0: movie! My, what a great scene! Well, those yeah. So, negotiation. those are great. See, those are great, great, greater tips than than uh, than we could have planned for. I did want to ask you about before before we we go um, about resignal about oh, the yeah. SEO agency because yeah. that's very interesting to me personally as someone who's on the creative side of marketing, and there's yeah. always the counterpart that is responsible for data, for SEO. So tell me a little bit about that and how that
1: factors into your world. So it's a company called Re-Signal. So Re-Signal, started by a very talented guy called Kevin Gibbons in the UK. He's been in SEO from the days it kind of started really, search engine optimization. And I got to know Kevin about, wow, eight, nine years ago now through a network, business network. And we just kind of got talking and we talked a bit more. And then over time, eventually I became the chairman of Resignal. He's the chief exec. And what we do is that we basically do SEO for big e-commerce brands. So e-commerce companies that sell sports gear, for example, we would work with them to help them get the rankings for certain products and ranges to the top of Google through Finding the right keywords and optimizing them so that we get the right kind of traffic, and you know, doing on-site content, on-site technical optimization, and building strategies—all that kind of stuff—and yeah. that's about the extent of my knowledge, Hirsch. We've reached the limit of my knowledge of SEO. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> and, and how you're the
0: chairman, and I'm you're the, the chairman. chairman. What I love, what I love, Mike, is you say we, we, we met each other, and we were having a nice, a rather <laughs> lovely chat. And, uh, so then, you know, and uh, he's the chief executive and, uh, jump ahead to, uh, you know, eight or nine days later, and I'm the chairman You see. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now there's meetings and conferences and, and telephone calls, but being the chairman, you know, it's, you're afforded all the expenses and considerations <laughs> that one would, that would be due such an individual, but, uh, you know, and, and then there's a, a, about a, Three-string sentence group of sentences that explain, you know, (laughs) SEO. I still don't know what the bloody letters stand for, but you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. But I'm happy. But I'm happy. So, but if you but that's but that's fantastic. Kevin can be here for like days about the topic. Right. Right. But what's interesting about that relationship? How's your sense of humor? Oh, very good. Actually, really good sense of humor. Great. Yeah. Um, it's interesting about why people get together in business and what Kevin saw in me and I saw in Kevin were very different experiences. And when you build any business, you need someone that's got the opposite of what you've got. Yes. Because there's no point in Indeed. trying to build all the skills in building a business. You need to find someone who's got complementary skills in building a business. And that's how we got together. So there is oh, a yeah. rationale Hirsch. There is, you see a logic behind our relationship. There's a formula. There's a formula. A, there's a, there's a
0: there, formula. there is, and you know, it's it's funny. It's something that I that I think has evolved the older I I've gotten as I've gone through my life. I've I've met people who are cultivated people around me who who were who were not not similar in the sense that as a comedian I didn't hang out with all comedians. But I hung out with people who love stand-up comedy and wanted to do stand-up comedy. And sometimes I even put them in executive role <laughs> executive roles in my company, and then it was that it wouldn't fit. And it was like, you know, but but I had this kind of camaraderie thing that I was building. Yeah. And 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 that makes sense on a human level, but the idea that it's so important to talk to people and befriend people who have a different mindset and a different orientation and their in their way they look at things and what what they find interesting. Yep. You know. So um and they may not want to go and hang at this particular comedy club or they may not want to go and do this this fun social activity. Now I thought in my mind I was marrying business and leisure and I was I was surrounding myself with people who enjoyed the same things I did and that would that would make Work life more enjoyable, right. but really, in the end, it leaves a lot of gaps. Correct, you know. So, so there we go. I've learned that. I've learned that. um Mike, this has been this has been so much fun. I mean, we could we could go on and do uh do more games, and we I could. hope we will. And drink I more wine. I hope we will. And drink more wine. And uh well, where, where, where,
1: where, where, <laughs> where did he go? Oh, where's oh, he gone? Where did he go? I was, I was talking. I was talking. I was just. He, but he, he just brought it over. <laughs> it. I turned around and he vanished. Vanished like regular, an old, old regular table. table. Regular table.
0: <laughs> we, we have your regular table, sir, Mr. Bach. Regular table. Regular chair. Take my host. I'll have a gin. I'll have you. a gin to start with. <laughs> take my coat you don't have a coat it's awful to take my hat oh no take my tie He's it's awful to take my tie
1: but anyway so much fun thank it you so much for fun. doing this really enjoyed it hers brilliant and i've never ever done improv on a podcast before it's a real first i loved it well you're gonna you're gonna end up doing it again i have a feeling excellent that would be amazing that would be amazing if you liked the show yes and it worked
0: for you yes and subscribe and leave a yes friend. five-star review yes friend. tell all your friends yes, friend. get your branding here yes friend. get your branding here yes friend. did i make it clear yes friend. get your branding on yes before they're gone yes.